From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio, episode 35, with Robert Lay of PitchBook. Welcome to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is changing insurance and about the people making it happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, look, the, the, the insurance industry is meant to, you know, pay out for risk of a few people for, for a few, you know, mitigate it and spread it out across, a, you know, a whole mass of, 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 of companies and pop, population. But in this case, it's like everyone's affected. So it's really hard. You, you, you had no, nowhere else to spread that risk. My guest this week is Robert Lay. Robert is a senior analyst of emerging technology at PitchBook. PitchBook are a financial information and technology provider. You can think of them as like a Bloomberg for private companies. They provide information and research on global M&A, private equity and venture capital markets. Robert and I speak about the digital transformation about insurance, investment trends and opportunities in InsurTech and the impact of COVID-19 on commercial insurance policies. Please enjoy. Robert Lay, you're very welcome to InsurTech Radio. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Brilliant. Yeah, can't complain. Thanks. Um, so, Robert, you're working with PitchBook. Can you just tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, PitchBook do and uh, um, what your background is? Yeah. So, um, PitchBook is a global financial uh, data provider focused on the private and public markets, providing data in those markets, in venture capital, private equity, and M&A. And, uh, you know, our clients use the data to track the full life cycle of private markets from, you know, GP fundraising to early seed deals, all the way through uh, fund returns that's generated through mega bio exits and IPO markets. And, um, yeah, what I do here is I, I am a fintech analyst at PitchBook and I cover insurtech and uh, fintech and I write research um, uh, providing analysis and uh, detailed in-depth research in those uh, areas. So I'll be right in saying just when we go back to PitchBook. So uh, this might be a, uh, kind of a silly example. Let me know. Uh, is it kind of like kind of Bloomberg, except for kind of VC investors and kind of pri and private companies? Yeah, that, that's actually a really good analogy. Um, it is like that. Um, you know, we we have the uh, our data platform um, VCs and private equity firms use it on a daily basis, just like a, a someone in the public um, equity markets would use Bloomberg on a daily basis. So it's it's a very good analogy. The one thing is PitchBook is expanding our public market data set. So um, we do have um, banks as clients as well who are in the public equities markets. Cool. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting way for us to explore the insure tech sector because uh, the vast majority of these new companies uh, are not publicly traded. So uh, being able to you know figure out um, uh, what's happening under the hood of some of these. Uh, companies and some of these deals would be very interesting. Um, so you guys recently um, have released a report all about InsureTech. Can you just give me a, an intro to the report? What was the scope of the report? Yeah, so the scope of the report was to kind of break down the InsureTech market and so look at what the um, kind of what the trends in that market is going on. You know, InsureTech is fairly... Uh, new kind of propped up on the last five years or so. So we wanted to dive in and look at what the opportunities are 
who are some of the startups in that space, who are some of the incumbents and how they're participating in that space. And we, you know, broke it down into six different segments and um, kind of looked into, dive into each individual segment to see, you know, where the opportunities are. Yeah, and you sent me a um, a copy of uh, the report and I was thinking, um, uh, you know, it'll be a lovely slide deck with lots of uh, pictures. Uh, and no, it's actually 86 pages of very, very dense <laughs> information. So it's probably one of the most detailed reports I've ever seen um, of InsureTech uh, doing the rounds. So um, I was really interested in actually the process uh, around research that, that you took and the kind of the lengths you went to to get some of the information. But I thought maybe we just kind of would take a step back from that. Like, why did you decide on InsureTech? What, what was it about InsureTech that you said, okay, this is something we need to invest a lot of time in and uh, produce a report on? Yeah, so um, part of our emerging tech team, we, um, we have six analysts right now and each analyst covers um, two vertical but when we first started we is a pretty new team i was one of the first hires on the team about less than two years ago now and um you know i started with fintech it was an area that i was interested in and um, i had a little bit of background in fintech so i covered that first and um as we started to um, expand our coverage areas we started to look at what other areas of emerging technology that was um not just um we felt that was important, but also what our clients were asking for. So, you know, when I released a FinTech report, our clients were like, hey, this is really interesting. Do you have anything on InsureTech? And so we started to hear that a lot more over, you know, the, the next few months after I released a FinTech report. So that's why I uh, decided to, you know, okay, let's let's um, dive into InsureTech and then, you know, uh, produce a, a, a deep dive report on, on this sector. And like from your own like personal point of view, obviously you would have been a, a consumer of insurance uh, at several points probably in your life before. So like, what was your impression of the insurance sector before before you got into this? Um, for me personally, I felt like insurance is one of those um, products that you buy but you don't really think about much, right? Because it's um, it's very transactional in nature. So for instance, um, the only insurance that I've had was health, rental, and, and uh, automobile insurance. And all of those insurance, you only buy once a year and that's it. So um, it, it wasn't, um, I didn't really have a big thought on what insurance was, but I just knew that, you know, it's something that I needed. And um, two of it was kind of mandated by the government health and, and automobile insurance anyways, right? So you had to buy it. Um, but I just knew that the process was not very um, easy. Like for instance, when I bought my first car insurance over a decade ago, I had to go to um, AAA, which is a, a huge auto insurer in California. And you know, you had to go in the office, you had to wait in line, you had to fill out so much paperwork and it was just, just to buy car insurance, I remember it took me like two to three hours of my day. And so that, that was kind of my experience of, of first buying auto insurance. And um, there, you know, it's, it's changed since, since then. But, you know, people like my parents, they still go to that same office that I went to <laughs> 10 years, over 10 years ago to, to renew and buy car insurance. So, um, you know, some, in some areas is is still, um, it still hasn't changed much. And, and that's kind of like my experience with uh, uh, purchasing insurance. 
Yeah, it's funny actually. My um, car insurance is actually due for renewal tomorrow, so I just uh, re- renewed it today, uh, and all of the transaction, uh, I didn't have to go anywhere, thank God. But uh, I, it was all by email. But the only kind of frustrating part was the payment. Uh, they had no facility for, facility for paying online, so I had to set up a, a bank transfer, which will take mm-hmm. you know just a little bit time consuming. Probably took me about ten minutes. Um and it'll take a couple of days for that to go through. Um, it wasn't too bad, but at the same time, when you start seeing some of these business models, um, and what they can do, you kind of you really think to yourself. I think the days of, um, the high street, uh, insurance office could be numbered. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's what I kind of mentioned in the report. And so, like when you started out, like so this whole world of insurtech, you start uh, thinking about, okay, maybe this is something that we can uh, do for our clients. So, what's the first step? Um, the first step is to get on the platform. So, our PitchBook platform is really great in terms of the companies on there. So, for me, I just like to look at at startups, look at incumbents, see what they're doing. So, you know, in our platform, we can pull up insurtech. It lists out all the companies. We can kind of filter by, you know, how much capital they've raised. And then, you know, the ones that raised a lot of capital probably has some kind of traction there because investors are putting money in. And, you know, you kind of just go in and look at all the companies online, do your research, look at the website, read their policies, read, read their, look at the products, look at their team. Um, that, that, that is like the grueling process of the report. You know, you, I've looked at over a thousand insure tech companies. And then, um, you know, find the ones that I, the ones I find interesting, I either reach out to, to see if they want to have a discussion with me or, um, you know, I've gone to a couple of, um, conferences as well, where I can reach out to them and meet them in person. Uh, there's a big one in Las Vegas that I went to in November called InsureTech Connect. And, um, that one's a a great conference with, I think like over 12,000 attendees, but, um, yeah, went there and I met some insure tech companies, got to speak to them in person. Um, so that's kind of the start of the research process is really understanding what these companies are doing, what the products are, what the technologies are, what the business models are. And then um, uh, after that, I, I, I talked to their investors as well. So investors are always super valuable. They, you know, they're, they're in the weeds just as much as I am, if not more. So um, investors um, give, uh, it's great having these conversations with them and hearing their insights and, um, you know, just doing general market research, uh, uh, seeing what other people are writing about these companies out there. Um, and, and, you know, over time you kind of, you know, have a certain theories or thesis of what's going on in the market that's kind of percolating in your head. And, you know, you start writing these ideas down and, you know, sometimes you verify, sometimes you read some other stuff that kind of, you know, um, shoots down those theses. But um, you kind of build out this whole mosaic of what's going on in the industry. And so that's kind of like the bottoms up approach of how, how we, we built the report. Cool. And so the conclusions you came to, well, not conclusions rather, but uh, you kind of ended up dividing everything into uh, five different segments. So maybe let's six. go. Six, was it? So your yep. property casualty, life and health, commercial, uh, then you kind of have the policy servicing, admin. And what was the last one? And, and underwriting. Oh, and underwriting. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Uh, well, let's uh, jump into underwriting then. Uh, tell me uh, what you found there. Yeah. So for us, we see that underwriting is 
probably one of the more uh, fast-growing segments of InsurTech. Um, it's a little bit harder if you think about underwriting technology right now is uh, being able to collect uh, various data from different data sources that typical uh, large insurers are not looking at today. Um, so, I mean, just obviously we're in the, this COVID environment right now. So, so we can talk about, you know, just how the risk underwriting has missed pandemics, right? Yeah, so um, there, there were a lot of opportunities there to factor in earlier. And, you know, even if, if you were, if you had, you know, a underwriting that's collecting real-time data and you're collecting kind of health data that's coming out of China, you could have understood what the risks are earlier on. Um, so you think about here in the U.S., a large company like Marsh, which is an insurance broker, they had this like pandemic response preparedness service that no one really used. Um, there were startups like uh, Metabiota that uh, collects biological, social, economic, political, environmental data for insurers to use in underwriting, and um, they didn't get a significant amount of traction. Um, also, going back to Marsh, they actually had uh, um, parametric, um, well, we'll talk about them later, we'll get to talk about parametric insurance, but, you know, so there, there's a lot of this data that, that, um, that insurers do not utilize for, for the underwriting. So we, we think um, um, that's going to be where um, long-term a lot of insurers, especially after this pandemic, is going to push them to say, hey, where can we look at, at more, more um, exogenous data that we were not looking at before to you know, improve our, our underwriting, uh, to make our underwriting better and, and make our underwriting faster and be able to you know, assess and analyze this data in a better way. Yeah, you mentioned um, parametric insurance there, uh, and I've seen seen that been u- utilized uh, quite well in commercial insurance. Full Flash, I think, would be kind of the the main the company that would spring to a lot of people's minds. Um, what are some of the what are some of the other use cases you've seen for parametric insurance? Yeah, what I was just touching upon um, was um, Marsh. They had a parametric insurance called Pathogen RX. And it was specifically for pandemics like this, right? And uh, you know how many uh, customers signed up for that the insurance product? They released zero? it two years zero, yeah, zero customers, and it, it, they oh, no. released this product about two years ago. So um, probably the great um, fanfare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously. Parametric insurance is, if, if, if your audience doesn't know, is a type of like episodic insurance where um, there's really no claims process. It, it pays out a, a set payout amount if a certain event occurs. So, for instance, you know, you can hear in, uh, they have it for hurricane insurance, right? So you could buy a certain policy and it's guaranteed to pay out X amount of dollars if, you know, a category one hurricane hits within 30 miles of this area. Right. And if it's a category two hurricane, it's a higher payout or it's a higher percentage of the payout up to a category five, which will pay at 100 percent of that amount of the payout. So, um, yeah, that's an episodic insurance. And, um, you know, Marsh's uh, Pathogen RX is similar and, you know, it pays out for pandemics like this for, for you know, certain types of, you know, your business. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic is, pandemic is this widespread then um, um, and it affects business and business interruption, then it'll pay all a set amount. Moving on then to property and casualty. Can you give me an overview of uh, the, 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 the InsurTech startup as um, 
arena there? Yeah, uh, property and casualty, if for the way we look at a report, I mean, when you think about PNC, usually it includes uh, commercial insurance, but uh, we kind of took commercial out in our report and kind of separated it into its own segment just because the, the business models are a little bit different and the types of investors that invest in that is a little bit different than the investors invest in, you know, home insurance or renter's insurance, which is an auto insurance, which is mostly what we have in our PNC segment. So you're taking but, out uh, commercial business insurance and you're just looking at essentially home motor. Uh, am I right? In PNC? Yes. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, PNC, it's, it's uh, a lot of companies came into it early because it's a consumer product. You think about a lot of times when a founder, um, thinks about starting a company, they always think of it from a consumer viewpoint because they're a consumer themselves. So it's kind of the same thing here. A lot of um, the early tech companies um, um, providing direct-to-consumer were, were in this space. So um, you can think about a company like Lemonade, which I think is a really um, great company here in the U.S. They mm. started out providing just uh, renter's insurance, uh, fully online through a mobile application, a super fast sign up process, uh, uh, super fast claims process as well, and they they have a, a bot that sits on both ends on the on the sign up process where it helps you answer questions. It goes to that bot, and then on the claim side as well, when you need to make a claim, so you really talk to a bot rather than a human, unless it's like a really complicated claims process. But um, yeah, they've uh, have raised uh, a significant amount of capital. Their last one was uh, $300 million from SoftBank. And um, they've also expanded now to home insurance as well. And then they just announced just a month or two ago, uh, pet insurance, which I think is going to be, that's that's a growing field as well. Pet insurance growing about 25% a year. Um, so um, yeah, Lemonade is a really interesting company. Um, they were... Rumored to go IPO last year, they hired some bankers, uh, investment bankers, but obviously in this environment, um, doesn't look like that's going to happen. <laughs> so looking at commercial then, so we separated uh, commercial out from, uh, PNC. Um, so tell me, uh, what, give me an overview of what you discovered there. Yeah. So, uh, commercial insurance is actually a really interesting area. Um, you know, just commercial insurance in general, it's a lot harder to uh, underwrite because there's just a lot more esoteric risk in the commercial insurance compared to, you know, insuring a, 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 like a single human being for health insurance. So um, there's many different areas out there. I think right now, one area that's really interesting is just, and it's very uh, um, important in this environment, it's just insuring small businesses. So, um, obviously, the insurtechs in this space right now are probably facing some challenges, especially when it comes to um, claims for uh, BI, because we you know we know this can be you know a lot of small businesses right now are hurt, so there'll be a huge uptick in BI claims. But um, I, I think in the long in the long term, there's going to be a huge demand for for uh, commercial insurance in this space. Right now, the long -term, there's some long-term risk in this space, but I'll also talk about the opportunities. But, you know, um, for the BI claims, it's going to be a huge increase because a lot of small businesses are hurt. So there's going to be some kind of legislative risk, you know. We're going to see 
that a lot of these small businesses, they're going to find out that, you know, their commercial insurance policy doesn't have coverage for, you know, something like a pandemic, right? They're going to, you know, look really deep into their policy on like page, you know, 26 or something. And there's like, you know, uh, uh, you know, pandemics are not included in this coverage. So uh, we're going to, we're trying to look at now and pay attention to see how this is going to play out. I'm not sure how it is out there in Europe, but in the U.S., there's already been some uh, preliminary legislation that is being passed to to um, require um, commercial insurers to retroactively pay for, really? uh, yeah, pay for these damages uh, from this pandemic. Even if and, it's not covered. Yeah, yeah. So th- that's going to, um, so we're, we're, we're paying attention to see how legislation will force these insurers to pay out BI claims. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's going to play on the courts. There's already a lot of claims and lawsuits that's already been filed um, for insurers to have to pay this. So, you know, there's definitely going to be a large uh, public policy debate on this uh, moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Is it, it's a really interesting question. My, my opinion, like, w- in Ireland, what there's what the regulator here is saying, so this is April 2020, so this it might change, uh, is that if it's, they want to, they want a situation where that if, if it's grey, that the insurer will uh, uh, look look at it, look in favor of the client, um. But the, the problem is, isn't it's not grey. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, it, it it's pretty just it clearly not covered in the majority yeah. of cases, and yeah. um, it gets uh, someone. I was talking to a, a lawyer uh, about two weeks ago, and he said, you know, you could have constitutional issues because the constitution says uh, that the government can't um, alter contracts, something to that, to, to that effect. So, and that's essentially what the legislation will be going in to do, to will be to change the contract between the insurer and the consumer. Mm, yeah. Is, I, is there similar constitutional issues in the States regarding that? Yeah, there, there, there is. Yeah. So what the government is, is doing are some proposals that I've heard so far is that, um, they can pay their insurers uh, if they do have to pay out for those BI claims. They can um, basically backstop it with a federal option. So then, basically, the the, the or, or a government option. So the government, in in this essence, will kind of act like a like a reinsurer. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Um. Yeah. It's interesting. I I I'm very curious to know what the actual aggregate exposure is across each market because i just wonder like would it cripple would it basically bring down the insurance industry if uh, all insurers were forced to pay relatively small amounts per policy it's only like maybe a hundred thousand or something like that per policy and but if they're all forced to pay that would the aggregate effect of that be just a complete collapse of the industry because um yeah and that's not been discussed in kind of you know popular popular news the fact that you know the, the cooler headline is you know insurers are greedy and they're not paying out claims whereas the reason why potential reason why they're not paying out claims is because they um might be able to open the doors the following day <laughs> yeah i mean like look the, the the insurance industry is meant to you know pay out for risk of a few people for for a few you know mitigate it and spread it out across a, you know a whole mass of of, of, of companies and pop, population but in this case it's like everyone's affected so it's really hard you, you, you had no nowhere else to spread that risk 
Yeah, I, I think I think a, a, a government backed option might be something that would, would have to happen for 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 insurers to be able to pay out a significant amount of money to these businesses. You know, you think about like, you know, a deposit insurance, right? Like how that happened right after the Great Depression in, in the 20s. So that came out. And then here in, in the U.S., we also have a federal crop insurance, which that popped up after uh, the Dust Bowl in the 30s. So, you know, the, we think something like this might have to have a, a, a federal type of insurance uh, to, to back up um, these claims. What was the Dust Bowl? I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, the Dust Bowl was, uh, I think, in the mid-1930s, 1933, I believe. And um, it's when the entire middle U.S. had so much dust and it was so dry for the whole year that every single farm lost its crops. No way. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really, really bad year. And so uh, after that, um, the federal crop insurance came up to kind of protect from these catastrophic losses like that. Yeah, I'm just thinking of how that would affect like world food supply. That must have been like not just in the United States affecting those farmers, like the, the knock-on impact of that must have been uh, just mm. like, uh, chaos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. And then, so what are some of the other trends in a commercial insurance, maybe on the investment side, where, where are investors putting their money? Yeah. Um, investors, uh, like I said, in the small business side, investors seem there, that is a very underserved, um, market segment. So investors are, um, putting in a lot of comp, a lot of capital into, um, companies that serve that segment. So um, you can think of a company like Next. Um, they uh, provide uh, small uh, business insurance and to you know restaurants and, and even someone like a dog walker to get business insurance. Um, there's also another interesting company that is very new called Vouch Insurance, and they provide insurance. How do you spell that? V O U C H. Okay. Vouch. Cool. Yeah, so um, they just popped up in uh, last year, and they provide insur- uh, commercial insurance to uh, uh, tech startups and life science startups. And they're based in the Bay Area, and their their model basically they uh, I believe they came out of YC, and they're basically selling insurance to other YC like uh, startups in the space. So um, they raised uh, two rounds last year, a $24 million round in September. And then in November, just like two, three, two months later, three months later, uh, they raised a $40 million round. So just for people listening, so YC is Y Combinator, which is probably one of the most elite um uh, startup programs around. How did they get in? So what is their, what makes them different? Um, I, I think because they serve an area that no one served yet, which is um, serving directly to tech startups. YC loves, if you notice, they love companies that serves their, their graduates, right? So, okay. yeah. uh, so you can think about companies like, uh, Slack or, 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 or Brex, right? When they kind of got started, they were selling their services to these startups, so um, Vouch is kind of the same thing, right? If you were a, a tech startup, 
or you if you were a startup and you graduated from YC, like you need insurance no matter what, right? Because yeah. you know, when you go to raise your seed or your Series A, you got to have business insurance or invest. It's not going to give you money. So where do you go get business insurance? Well, before vouch, you know, you would have to go to you know an incumbent or, or somewhere just to get your business insurance. So that's where vouch kind of came in. It's like, hey, we we have a much better process for you to buy insurance. Um, so, I mean, they're not a carrier. They're, they're just, uh, they're an MGA. So, um, they're backed by a, you know, a traditional carrier, but, um, their, their, their business model is to sell directly to, uh, tech startups. I think that's really, and, you know, probably the better, uh, you know, the more likely to last tech startups as well, more likely to get bigger as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's a very, uh, very smart uh, segment to be going after. So Robert, like, thanks very much for spending so much time with me. Um, where can people find out more about PitchBook um, and yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find out more about PitchBook at uh, pitchbook.com. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Robert Lay. You probably put Robert Lay PitchBook and then uh, connect with me. I'm happy to talk about insurance, happy to talk about fintech, always happy to connect with folks in the industry. Great stuff. Um, I will put links uh, to your LinkedIn page and to the PitchBook website and everything uh, in our show notes. Uh, But for now, Robert, thanks very much. All right. Thanks, Connor. This is awesome. Cheers. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn. And please visit our website, insuretechireland.org. See you next week.